We are a diverse congregation and a diverse nation. A few of us fear that we are living in the times Margaret Atwood described in her dystopian tale, The Handmaid's Tale. While a few of us think that we are living out the promiscuity detailed in the dystopian novel, A Brave New World. And there are a few of us who really are living out a Philip K. Dick novel, not knowing where we are or how to make sense of anything in this world. Christian scripture alludes that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. In fact, St. Paul tells us not to be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be renewed by the transformation of our minds. And so we as Christians have a duty, an obligation, to ponder weighty matters like gun rights, the January 6th hearings, and the recent Supreme Court decision in Dobbs versus Mississippi. Yet we grapple with these things not based on an ideology, but based on bearing and having the mind of Christ. For we are a people shaped by the teachings of scripture, tradition, church councils like the General Convention and Lambeth, and our God-given human reason. And in all of that, we create room for the power of the Holy Spirit to shape our individual conscience as we live in the world, but not be of the world. And it may come to be that the teachings of faith may contradict our long-held opinions. But as people of faith, it is essential to wrestle and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, minds, and hearts to be more Christ-like in the world. Ronald Brownstein, in a recent article in The Atlantic, reiterates a warning that we face. We face the great divergence, where distrust of institutions because of its weaponization, is running rampant. So in the midst of this, how are we as Christians to frame and understand issues in this day and age? Alistair McIntyre is one of the most poignant moral philosophers of our time, and he makes an observation. He writes, and I'm going to quote because this quote is pretty philosophical and dense, but I'll quote it and I'll try to distill it. He writes, the most striking feature of moral utterances or debates is that these disagreements express an interminable character. I do not mean that such debates go on and on and on and on, although they do, but also that they apparently can find no endpoint, no terminus, no telos. 
And as a consequence, there seems to be no rational way of securing moral agreement in our culture. Let me just reiterate that last phrase. There seems to be no rational way of securing moral agreement in our culture. Or as McIntyre deftly coins it, we live in an era where there is an incommensurability of arguments. How did we come to this point? He argues we came to this point because we have lost a sense of moral rootedness. In fact, he goes on to say that everything today is about our extreme individual preference, our unbridled emotions, and our malformed desires. And in order to recapture a sense of moral sanity, he suggests that we need to recapture a holistic life, a life based on life-giving values of community and a shared vision. McIntyre, you know, uses a fancy Greek word called telos. He says that we need a framework shaped by telos. And telos, is, it's, it's a fancy Greek word. It can be understood as a purpose, an end, a destination. We need a destination, a, an ideal point or a climax where we move. A climax, a destination where we jointly move towards a vision of what can be. And he says that it's that sort of teleological framework that helps us move from our individual preferences into a shared vision of what community can be. For without a telos, without a destination, there can be no ethics. Because moral statements become loud and competing symbols and gongs clashing over and against each other. In a culture where everything becomes about me, myself, and I, it seems that we have perpetuated and passed down this mantle of incommensurability in everything. Because everything becomes about my specific preferences, my desires, my self-actualized and identified purpose. In contradistinction to this, I suggest that our role as a community of faith is to pass down a mantle, the mantle of a Christian telos, a Christian destination, a vision that is rooted in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of peace, justice, love, mercy, where in Christ we are all brothers and sisters. There is no Greek, no Jew, no male, nor female, nor slave, nor re free, nor Republican, nor Democrat. We are all one. So our lessons today that our lectionary have given us are all about picking up the mantle, the mantle that we get from our ancestors in faith. Take a look at your first lesson. The first lesson is quite famous in popular culture. Phrases like passing the mantle, the baton, they find their origin in the story where the prophet Elijah is passing on the mantle to Elisha. 
Now remember, Elijah was a prophet who was never afraid to speak truth to power. He confronted wickedness in the form of a royal power when the king tried to take the land of an innocent man, just tried to usurp that land without any sort of justice. Elijah also confronted the queen because the queen, rather than living up to the covenants of old, the covenants of justice and mercy, of taking care of the poor and the widow, turned to advisors and political powers that be that was all focused on how to individually accumulate more and more, not for the sake of human flourishing, but the, for the sake of increasing their wealth, their own wealth. Elijah challenges all of this. He challenges all of this idolatry. And now the time has come for Elijah to pass this mantle to the next generation, and he passes it on to Elisha, his protege, who picks up that mantle. Elisha begins to live into moral clarity based on the customs, the laws, the tradition of the covenant of God, who called God's people out of slavery, out of idolatry, into authentic freedom. Take a look at the gospel today. In our gospel today, Jesus is rejected in Samaria. Why? Because his face is turned towards Jerusalem. In other words, his moral disposition is formed by the Jewish law of mercy and justice. This conception of mercy and justice is rejected. And two of his disciples are seethingly mad. They're furious. They want to bring down fire and brimstone upon that village. Jesus calmly, in the way that Jesus can only do, rebukes them. Because he, as the incarnate Son of God, came to bring life, love, redemption, and mercy. Now, to follow Jesus requires that the old leaven of malice and strife is buried, is discarded, and a new leaven of redemptive love, of grace, is embraced. For it is that redeeming love that builds the kingdom of God. And so the mantle that he passes to his disciple is that of love and sacrifice, despite hatred and self-absorption. And we know from Christian history that the disciples pick up that mantle and change the world because of sacrificial love. Take a look at our epistle today. St. Paul tells us that we are called to pick up the mantle of freedom born of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of strife, quarrels, dissensions, factions, we receive the mantle of freedom because we are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And because we are anointed by the Holy Spirit, we are called to bear fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Beloved, in an era where we are seemingly growing more and more apart, when there is so much 
incommensurability or interminability of moral debates, perhaps we as Christians need to ask some fundamental questions. What is the mantle that we as a community of faith, we as individual Christians, want to pass down to the next generation? And in turn, how do we equip them to pick up this mantle? The good news is that Christianity offers a moral grounding based on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. With fundamental tenets that are to be passed down and picked up, whether it is speaking truth to power as Elijah, Elisha, the early disciples of Jesus did, amidst powers and principalities that do not want to hear truth, or whether it is passing down the mantle of sacrificial love, justice, and mercy that God so demonstrates through the life of Jesus Christ. All of these things would shape Christian community to open ourselves to stand with the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, those most neglected and forsaken by the power structures of this world that great mantle that has been passed down to us. Or the mantle of living into the fruits of the Holy Spirit, remembering our baptism, remembering that we are anointed in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we can only do the work of Jesus if we are so guided by truth. So in the midst of national strife, quarrel, dissension, and factions, it is perhaps the Christian church's responsibility to reflect these fruits of the Spirit, bathed in that Spirit, so that we can sow seeds that bear the fruits of love, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and yes, self-control. Just imagine. Imagine if we as Christians took this moral grounding Seriously, imagine if we took the mantle that we have been given so seriously that we want to pass it down for generations to come. Imagine if the church lived into being the church. Might not heaven and earth become a bit closer?